amazing grace of our Lord. And because of the resurrection, he is forever ours. This morning, the title of our message is Confronted by the Resurrection. Confronted by the Resurrection, which is part two in our series in the Gospel of John from chapter 20. So this morning, our passage is chapter 20, verses 11 to 18. So our message last week was titled uh, Confronted by the Resurrection as we looked at the way in which three ordinary People were followers of Jesus had to come to terms with something as extraordinary as his resurrection. In fact, this is the main theme in the last two chapters in the Gospel of John, chapters 20 and 21. As more and, and more of his disciples are their, their lives, their expectations, their, their hopes are, are positively turned upward, rather than looking down and, and hopeless, they, they are hopeful, something their lives are, are miraculously turned around because of the impact of Jesus' resurrection. Now, from a human perspective, we can understand their reaction because if you and I were, were there, we probably would have behaved in the same way. I'm saying might because... We are not as accustomed to the supernatural breaking into our normal lives as they were. But something that is noteworthy is that Jesus' first appearance is not to any of his disciples, but to Mary Magdalene. And although she plays an important role in the life of Jesus, we know actually quite, quite little about her. She is one of at least five different women who are called Mary in the New Testament. So it was a popular name. So it might uh, get confusing as to which Mary we are talking about. But Mary Magdalene came from the village of Magdala on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had cast out seven demons, not just one, but seven demons out of her. That's what Luke chapter 8 tells us. And before she met Jesus, she was therefore totally enslaved by the powers of evil, by demonic powers. Now, we can't go into speculating as, as, as to how she, she was entrapped to, to this sad condition. But it was bad, very bad, before Jesus met her. Now, Mary Magdalene, she would not go to write a gospel or become a preacher. Nevertheless, our Lord chose to manifest himself to her first and foremost. Why? Well, let's, let's look at some reasons why that could be possible. Firstly, God has a different way to measure greatness than us. Very different. Secondly, she has a great love for her master as he did for her. Thirdly, she seemed to be the one who has experienced the most grief. The one who was mourning is now being comforted by the Lord himself. And lastly, Jesus revealed himself to her before anyone else, to the one who was there 
first at the tomb as a reward for her devotion to him. But there is more. There is more to this episode that we need to unpack this morning as we, as we consider this, this wonderful encounter between Mary Magdalene and the resurrected Jesus as she herself had to be confronted by the empty tomb. So in our text we see her progressing through different stages in her faith, in her, in her understanding. So let's uh, first of all start with verses 11 to 13, confused. She was confused. Verse 11 to 13. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept. As she wept, she, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they have put him. Now, without any doubt, Mary is still in deep grief, in her deep sorrow, Two angels appear before her and, she, and, and it seems to barely register at all. It, it, now, it's, it's not like she didn't see them. It's, it's just that she wasn't overly phased by their presence. Later, she will tell the story to others. She describes them. They were in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. She even noticed their positions, one at the head, the other one at the feet. Now, this is Mary telling her story after she reflects on this wonderful event. as She recounts it as she tells the other disciples and as we have it recorded in the Gospel. But there, when she first saw that, it didn't register that these were angels. And by the way, these angels wouldn't be wearing their wings. They were just, I suppose, normal, wearing their white in yeah, sitting there. Now we have previously mentioned John's pattern of, of writing in layers or deeper meanings than what is obvious to most. And, and for this, sometimes we have to have an understanding of the Old Testament. It is quite possible that John sees the position of these angels coinciding with the positioning of the golden cherubim on top of the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. The angelic statues, uh, the golden angelic statues were positioned at each end of the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. And that was the place where the high priest in the Old Testament, he he would sprinkle the blood on the Day of the Atonement to make the payment for the sin of the people. That was done once a year. Now, John could be giving us a picture here of the satisfaction of the Father and the sacrifice of the Son, that the atonement had been made in the blood of Jesus and has been accepted before God. Now, not that Mary is reflecting on this deeper symbolism, not at that moment anyway. The angels engage with her in conversation. They ask her, woman, why are you crying? Why are you weeping? 
And she responds as if she has a conversation with angels every other day. Her response is brief, but it is also honest. But let's also see that, uh, and also consider that even if Jesus' body had been laying there, his dead body had been laying there, she would still be crying. But now that the body is missing, is not there, it gives her even more reason to cry. And it is just at that moment of vulnerability and deep sorrow that Mary becomes aware of someone else standing closely behind her. It's possible that the angels who were there, they lifted their eyes and their focus changed from Mary to the one who's standing behind them and they gave her a clue that there is somebody else there. King David said in Psalm 34 verse 18, he said, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That is, that is a, a wonderful promise, isn't it? That the Lord is, is close. He's close to us all the time, but he's especially close to the brokenhearted, those who are crushed in spirit. And that's exactly what Mary will discover now. now in verses 14 to, to 15, we, we can call this, she was challenged. All our titles this morning, by the way, are with the letter C, just out of convenience. That's another C. Challenged. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realise that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. The text tells us that she turned around and there's Jesus standing there alive and well. But it didn't register with her that it was Jesus. She's still blinded by her, by her sorrow, by her tears. She actually concludes that he must be the gardener. I don't know. Maybe his appearance wasn't extraordinary. Maybe he was holding a lawnmower. I don't know. No. At one level, this appears almost hilarious, doesn't it? But this is not a dress-up surprise party that Mary is witnessing, where Jesus is, is uh, dressed up as a gardener. Let's face it. You've got to understand Mary. The last time she saw Jesus, he was battered and bruised and bleeding, hanging on a cross dying and then dead. This is the image that is locked in her mind of her beloved saviour, her beloved friend. So can we really blame her for not recognising Jesus now? Now he is unrecognisable, one figure compared to the other, because of how well he looks, how, how normal, healthy he looks. It's very different, isn't it? Now Luke chapter 8 gives us a little bit more insight into Mary of Magdala. She was one of the, the group of women who became followers of Jesus during his earthly ministry and, and she and the other women followed Jesus 
and his apostle as they travel from village to village. Now they offered, the Bible tells us, they offered financial support and, and helping them, they would do the, probably do the, the, the cooking, the, the shopping, and they would support the disciples in Jesus in, in various ways. So there is absolutely no doubt in Mary's uh, love and devotion for Jesus. But in all this time that she spent, all this time that she spent listening to Jesus there, as Jesus taught and preached, she was there. She was part of the group. But somehow the truths that he taught, she still lacks the, the faith to apply them to her own personal circumstances. She still lacked the faith in his promises, in his words. This is why, my friends, love for Christ and affection, an affection for Christian things and even a, a, a time involved in Christian service is while all of that is fantastic and it is great and it is good and it is needed, absolutely, it is not enough if there isn't a faith in him and in his word. We need faith in him and his word and trust his promises. And we need eyes of faith in order to see the risen Christ, especially when we are in the midst of our sorrow and trials. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, maybe Mary Magdalene actually listened to these words. I'm sure she did. Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And this is important because in our deepest trials, we need to have faith. Not faith in the system, not faith in faith itself, not faith in ourselves, but faith in Christ. Our faith needs direction, it needs a target, it needs to be targeted and directed to Jesus Christ. Otherwise, our faith will always come short. Now, Jesus asks for two questions which are different, but they are, but they are related. Why are you crying? And who are you looking for? Do you prefer a, he could have continued the questioning and said, do you prefer a dead saviour or a live one? Have you lost something or, or someone because it appears that you are the one that is lost? Well, from time to time there is, uh, obviously we do have genuine, genuine cause for crying and weeping and the pain might last the night. But just remember that joy, the joy comes in the morning. And this is one of those mornings, isn't it? Oh, what a morning. In fact, there would never be another morning like this until the day when Jesus returns. Perhaps the reason Lord is asking you the same questions that he asked Mary. Why the grief and despair? And maybe like Mary, you're inclined to think, well, that's a dumb question. Um, don't you see what I'm going through? Don't you think, you know, that I've, I should be crying, I should be weeping, I should be despairing? I'm weeping because they, 
Who is they? Well, somebody is the day who came and stole the body. But the body, he was dead anyway. That's the picture you have of a, of a dead saviour. But the Lord gently says, wait a minute. The tomb is empty. This is what he could be saying to her. The tomb is empty because I have risen. I'm here. Why are you weeping? But notice how the second question is asked before she has a chance to even answer the first. This is because the answer to why she is weeping is found in the answer of whom she is seeking. Can you see that? Clearly, Mary was seeking a dead Lord. Her devotion to Jesus is commendable. But what good would it have done for Mary to haul off Jesus' dead body and add a few more embalming spices and wrap him up again and make him look good? He's still dead, right? He's still dead? A dead religion that dresses up a corpse of a dead prophet is worthless, is worthless. It's not going to help you. Only a living saviour who has triumphed over the grave offers us the hope over our sorrows. And only Jesus can do that. Verse 16, she is called, she is called. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. There are no questions the second time Jesus speaks to her, but rather a proclamation of her tender name, Mary. Saints, you see, we all know this. Saying someone's name gets their attention immediately. She she focuses not on on, on Jesus as, as, as... as someone who was dead and suffering, suddenly the scales fell from her eyes. And she sees him. She now recognises the unmistakable voice. In her excitement, she cries out, Rabboni. And, and it's not just teacher, but it's actually my teacher. You're here. It's you. When she was uh, looking at where his body had been, She was facing the wrong way. She was facing death. She turned around and her life turned around, didn't it? She was seeking before, she was seeking the living amongst the dead or the dead amongst the dead. Now, at Jesus' word, at Jesus' calling, she recognises the living. She is in the land of the living. So with gladness and, and sorrow, it's all, all that sorrow is replaced by joy and celebration of the fact that Jesus is alive. Now let's recall the words of, of Jesus in John chapter 10, where the good shepherd, he tells us, calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 3. She was trapped by her grief. Now the good shepherd is calling her by name, leading her out of sorrow and despair into freedom. 
the risen Christ, the good shepherd, continually calling us. Those who respond will find life eternal. The one who lays down his life for his sheep, calling us personally, intimately, in the midst of the gloom and doom of our current times, he is calling you and me. Are we listening? I remember an old hymn. It's a classic old hymn. I love it. These are, these are the first words. I hear thy welcome voice that calls me Lord to thee for cleansing in thy precious blood that flowed on Calvary. I hope that you and I continue to hear, to listen, to love his welcome voice that calls us to him all the time. Now, in verses 17 and 18, Mary is commissioned. She is commissioned. This is what it says. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. When she suddenly sees who he is, She does what I suspect most of us would do if we were in her situation. In her joy and her wonder, she she grabs onto his his feet, his his legs like like a little child. I remember when my kids were were growing up and I would come home, I'd have one or two of my kids hanging from my legs because they they were so happy to to see me. Maybe that's what... uh, Mary is going through. I'm, I'm not going to let you go. I'm never going to let you go. I'm never ever going to let you out of my sight again. You're here to stay. And that's, that's understandable from Mary's perspective. Thought she thought she'd lost him. Now he's here. She's clinging on to him, clutching on to him possessively. Probably thinking it'll be just like the good old days. Some people read Jesus' words to mean Jesus' words and response to, to Mary when he said, you know, don't, uh, don't hold on to me, as, as meaning that uh, Jesus couldn't be touched. But the issue is not that he can't be touched. He's not immaterial. He's not a ghost. Uh, we look ahead to his words later on in, in the chapter his words to Thomas when he appears to the disciples in the upper room and he actually invites Thomas and he said, put your finger here, see my hands? Now, obviously Jesus would not have made the invitation to Thomas to come and, and, and put his finger on his, on his hands if it was impossible for him to do so, if it was simply a spirit. Also, the fact that Mary was clinging to Jesus shows you that he wasn't a phantom. He was there. He was raised bodily from the dead and he ascended bodily into heaven. 
And one day, one day, he will return bodily in power and in glory. So Jesus is saying, what he's saying to Mary is, Mary, things are different now. After I ascend, you will have my presence spiritually with you and all believers, but not physically. We cannot go back to the way things were because Jesus must ascend to the right hand of the Father to take his place as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and to pour his Spirit on his church. But what is marvellous here is that she becomes the first to be commissioned to go tell the story, to tell the good news of the resurrection. A news so wonderful that you cannot simply keep it to yourself. It cannot be a guarded secret. It must be told and told to the world. Now last week, remember last week, our meditation last week, she went on her own and told the disciples a furphy that somebody had stolen the body of Jesus. It was a wrong assumption. Now she, she is telling the truth. She's been told to tell the truth and she's saying it. Just the truth, ma'am, and that is what she's doing. To those who are grieving and brokenhearted and lost, the good news of Jesus rising from the tomb has to be told. Has to be told. To a world that is currently overwhelmed with bad news, good news is desperately needed. Our job is not to make them believe. Our job is to tell the story, to tell the story that Jesus is risen from the dead. And finally, we need to understand just how privileged we are. Jesus is ascending to his Father, his Father and our Father. Jesus, by his very nature, is eternally the Son of God, but because of his precious sacrifice on the cross, we can also call him Father by virtue of being adopted, by faith adopted as sons and daughters into the kingdom. In his letter, John will write, Behold, just Think about it, just ponder, just be lost in the wonder of what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. That's 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. And we can only do so by grace, through faith in Christ our Saviour, our Mediator, our Lord. In our deepest sorrows... It is a great comfort that we, that we have access to the Father through the risen Lord, Jesus Christ, our Saviour. May God bless us. Amen.